Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Plugged In, a National Soccer Podcast, alongside my co-host, producer Nick, a.k.a. Nick Gray. I'm Drake Hills. We are recording this on the 5th of May, Cinco de Mayo. Also, Rodrigo Pinero's birthday. Oh, happy birthday to him. Happy birthday, happy Jordan year to Rodrigo Pinero. We're going to be talking a little bit about Rodrigo later, also, some Jean Cadiz uh, analysis and some assessment of his first few games of the 2021 season. We will preview the upcoming Nashville SC matchup with New England Revolution, the finale of this four-match home stretch at Nissan Stadium, 12:30 Central kickoff. Another day game, and I actually hope the sun will be out this time. I know for photo and for video, that's not always the the most desirable. Uh, thing to do. I know post-production, it may not be the best. Um, but for us, us in the press box, I actually enjoy day games. I look forward to it. But maybe I'm, maybe no rain, at least. Yeah, maybe no rain. The clouds, but no I, rain. I, I, well, we did, we did see most of the Montreal match was an overcast, very England-esque um, situation. Uh, for the, I would say probably for about 60 to 70 minutes, we got a little bit of rain. Towards the end, the sun came out for about two minutes and then it started raining again. Let's hope that there's going to be some sun this time. And also, let's hope that there's going to be some goals in it, Greg. Oh, certainly hope so. Because the uh, the Miami game, you know, I, I facetiously called it boring. It wasn't boring. I think things happened in it. But there was, nev- there was never really a time where you were like, oh, man. Nashville is about to score a goal. Like, I feel like in the first couple of games, there were your multiple occurrences because they did score two goals where you felt it coming. And you never really felt it coming for either side on Sunday, I think. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the opposite on that, Nick. I'm going to take I'm gonna take three instances in the first half in which I thought Nashville C would go into the halftime break up one nil. Okay. First first was there was a header. I believe it was Alistair Johnston came out wide right. He advanced up into the attacking third. He played a great cross into Jandre Cadiz. This is about the 16th minute. And Jandre has done this before. Like, he did it against Montreal in that, in that first goal that was scored to make it 2-1. When he rose up against Kamal Miller, and he simply just – simple, nice header. Very textbook. And – it looked like that would have been the case in the 16th minute. I believe that was not uh, Gonzalez Perez. That was another center back, I believe, uh, that he was marked by. And there could have been some tangling in there in the inside the 18-yard box. But he rose up and he headed it left. But it was almost like he overcompensated for how the ball was played. And I think just heading it across goal would have beat John McCarthy, the goalkeeper from Miami. So I – that should have been one nil for me. The second instance was in the, I believe it was the 35th minute when Hani Mukhtar, what a great ball from Randall Leal. Like just, just played it completely behind the Miami defense. It was at that point, uh, Mukhtar trying to fight off his defender. McCarthy's coming up. McCarthy actually kind of clips him uh, as he, as he clears the ball away. But I thought that Mukhtar could have gotten to that. And that was another you know, whether it was him trying to set his body up, you know, to contour his body to go right and, and have a nice open his hips a little bit and hit the bottom right corner. 
But I just think a simple chip above McCarthy or an attempt at least uh, would have sufficed. And then the, the third one, which really was like a big wowser, was a 44th minute against Miami where incredible touch play. You've got Randall Leal. He leaves the left side. He's, he's all the way towards the right side, closer to where we are at the press box. So he's on the near side of the pitch. He plays a ball, I believe, to Alistair, who plays it to Muil. Muil plays it to McCarty. And as he plays it to McCarty, Muil makes a dive, a beeline into, into the 18 box. He gives it to – McCarty gives it to Alistair. And somehow I believe McCarty had gotten it back and he played this ball in behind. And there you have Muil just sitting in there, no one in space, about five yards distance between any Miami defender and Muil. He plays this cross, this low cross to Dan Lovitz on the other side. And Lovitz takes two touches and he places it, you know, some 10 yards above the goal. He places way, way too high above the crossbar. So I think in those situations, Nashville C has to score. Like they have to score. And I think at least the Lovitz one was had you had to get something better well, out of it than that. Because well, that play was so nice. Two of the great. three, two of the three, I think should have been, and arguably could say all three should have been right on frame. They all should have been on frame. But two of them, I think Jonders and I think Dan Lovitz, those two should have been goals. Yeah, I think it's – but you're talking about instances there, and maybe by the 44th minute, Nashville finally really gotten a good grasp on the game and control. But even that first – like I, I think in the first 15 minutes or so, Miami was owning the ball a little bit more. And uh, really, really had Nashville doing what it wanted to do, um, which was not sustain a ton of possession in the final third, not, it never really felt like there were too many dangerous opportunities. Now, those three obviously were um, opportunities, but it wasn't like they weren't peppered with two or three, like, oh, goodness, opportunities in a three or four minute span which is something that I'm sure they saw on film for Nashville SC, like watching the games over the first couple of games, just to see how they really surged when they built that attack up, attack up and, and were able to kind of overwhelm at points in those first two games. They did not do that against Miami. Um, you're not going to expect them to do that in every game. So that's not a criticism per se, but, um, you know, had one of those goals gone in, I think that changes the entire complexion of what Miami was trying to accomplish in the second half because there wasn't a lot in it for Miami in the second half. There really wasn't a lot in it. I mean, there was a couple opportunities. I know Joe Willis had to make a couple of pretty key saves, but yeah, there just wasn't a ton into this game. I've credited Joe Willis for more than the two saves that he had in the first, what, seven minutes of the match. Right. Uh, Jay, Jay Chapman and Lewis Morgan. Uh, Lewis, I mean, he completely uh, – he was right there, and Joe Willis had to take a dive to punch to punch that Might ball. Might have been his best save of the last year and a half that he's been here. Oh, that's, a, that's a big superlative right there. That's true. We yeah. have to think about it, but that one that one's up there. Yeah, it's a big superlative. That was, then, it was a quick reaction too. Like yeah, it it, it was it, that's a difficult one to 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 keep out. Yeah, and then we all had lost the ball on the far side, or not the he didn't he technically was trying to gain possession. The ball was basically cleared out um, of, of Miami's 18-yard box. And I'm not sure if Leal had expected Lewis to jump on him that quickly, 
But Lewis basically took the ball and just outran Leal down the far side. And that was another chance that it was it was clear that, you know, there was something that, that Joe Willis had to deal with. And he did. And then, of course, something that I was glad to see was in a similar situation to how Willis was late on clearing that ball against FC Cincinnati where he clipped Brenner and had that PK. He had that same thing, that same situation against Rodolfo Pizarro in the first half um, on Sunday. So, look, I think Willis is improving. I think Nashua C at the back is improving. Now, the midfield is – it looks like they're a bit – you know, whether it's match fitness, whether it's just an overwhelming of having to pull the strings defensively and connect with Romney and Zimmerman, and then obviously having to start the attacking sequence as well. That's a lot of weight for Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty. But I think that is a question that – and in credit to all the media that's been covering National SC uh, this season, they've said that midfield depth is the was the big question. You know, there was so much emphasis on bolstering the attack. And Mike Jacobs and Nashville C succeeded, I think, in, in bolstering that attack. It's just all about getting them healthy. But at this point, it's who can who can give a surge to Hani Mukhtar? Who can help out Dex McCarty and Anibal Godoy? That's where we're at right now. And looking at this Nashville C side, we're at three points in three matches. Taking it back to episode one, Nick Gray, I said eight points was necessary in four matches. Now, what's possible, a maximum seven points, or excuse me, six points. Six points maximum now, yeah. six points is what National C is looking at if they beat New England Revolution this Saturday. You said six points is probably going to be what they get. I, I said I said five five points was the baseline for me. Anything better than five, I feel like they'd be trending in the right direction. Now I have them at one, two, and one uh, to start the year. So you had so, them losing. So are you are you saying I, I had them losing? I believe I had them losing this game. I thought they were going to beat Cincinnati, draw the next two, and then lose this game. Um, was I think my uh, just concocted game by game predictions of the first four, but uh, it, this was. This and the way it, it went about, I, I think, kind of surprised people. The fact that they, um, you know, I've, I've been looking around. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, the statistical websites that cover soccer internationally and, and there and such. You have National SC atop. I know FootyStats.com is where I was looking at expected goals. Um, National SC leads the MLS right now in expected goals per game. I believe it's 2.2, um, correct? Yeah, 2.01, I think, is what I saw, something like that. Um, close to. Basically two, two expected yeah, goals basically per two match. games two, two per match. And so that's that's not – I don't think – had you said that number, I think you would say, oh, well, they're four, they're going to be 4-0 and 0. Well, do you think that's top-heavy, though, just based off of the fact that they created – what was it? I, I believe 41 chances in the first two matches. You had – I believe 40, 40 to 41. Cause I believe it was, yeah, I, I think it was somewhere around there where they had. Yeah, but you're, yeah, had, but you're talking about three games here or, you know, three games. And so, yeah, that, but you also, you just referenced, you know, the fact that they probably should have had at least one, if not two goals in the game 
on Sunday. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily like a top head. Like it's, it's three, three games is what it is. I think this game, let's see if I can find a stat here. I think this game on Sunday probably should have had a goal in it and it didn't, but it doesn't surprise me that it didn't. Well, that Gary Smith, did. Gary Smith did say that, you know, to say he did, he did say in his opening comments that this match, he's talking about the Miami match. This right. match had one nil written all over it. Yeah. By but the words like, of Gary Smith. But like had Inter Miami scored in that first 10 minute stretch where they were pretty clearly the first, you know, the on the front foot, Lewis Morgan came out really well for them. But it, if you talk about getting them, you know, one of those two chances falling through, you know, maybe Nashville SC responds like they did in the first two games from being down and cranks it up just a little bit more. But I think for me, when I think about the first three games, this first stretch here, um, it's not the way I thought it was going to be, but I still don't think Nashville SC as a whole, as a side, has a great grasp of what it can do, what what its best version can be. I'm not surprised that this game, this past game, given the way that Miami was going to play tactically and given the way Nashville SC was probably wanting to rein in a little bit better in that first half hour and not concede, even though they almost did. I th- I'm not surprised that that would game went that way, but I still think there is a little bit of, well, we need to figure out what this group group's best thing can be. And maybe that's adding in a Pinero on the right side. Maybe that's at, you know, ch- trying to figure out whether or not yonder Cadiz needs to be the guy that's, you know, and pin almost every week as as center forward, or is it somebody else where that needs to be a little more of a fluid situation? You know, it's three games in, so you can't. There's not a ton. You know, form hasn't really really been built in yet. I think as a whole. Well, sure, form has not been at the top, of course. I mean, that's expected, and I don't think that's exclusive to Nashville, but let's face it, as we wrap up this conversation, as you mentioned, we're going to get into Cadiz and, and Pinheiro. Oh. Nashville C is currently ninth in the East, and they just faced an Inter-Miami side that did not have neither Gonzalo Higuain and Federico Higuain, a late last-minute scratch of Nico Figal. So you just had Leandro Gonzalez-Perez back there. Um, so they weren't even... Miami wasn't their strongest at both oh. sides. Um, no, Robbie Robinson to start and, and, and to finish. He was only he was only on the field for eleven minutes, right? And so, looking at the team that I watched against LA Galaxy, that played LA Galaxy in the opener, that was my concern going into this match. You know, but obviously before the the Iguain, uh personal news, which you know it's still tr- tragic. You know, my condolences to to their family for the loss of their mother. Um, but of course, Pizarro has a, is a last minute addition after getting his green card in Mexico. You didn't know what was going on with him. Figal gets scratched. You have the Iguain brothers out. Robbie Robinson is questionable. There ha- that, that was the time to get three points. Like National C should be sitting on um, five points, five, right. five, five points right least. now. So, yeah. Look, I mean, and at that point, that would put you in and around fourth or fifth, uh, I believe around fifth. So you'd be ahead of Atlanta United, Miami, and New York Red Bulls, as well as D.C. United right now. 
Yeah, so, but throwing the throwing the standings out though, it's like I said the first episode. My concern was dropping points in this first four weeks. Would that be something that you'd be concerned about heading into September? I have a feeling. Now I don't know this. I have a feeling, and I know that Taylor Twelman talked about it, kind of tongue in cheeked about it in our last episode, which I wasn't a part of, about Nashville SC kind of coming back to the pack a little bit in the playoff race relative in terms of, you know, this, this, this stretch, not being the, the outcomes you want. If you're Nashville SC trying to get into the playoffs, my concern coming in and my concern now still is you're talking about six drop points against teams. You need to get three points against more often than not. And uh, that's just the reality of the situation. And especially with Montreal, that's a team you're going to be competing for a playoff spot oh, yeah. with. There's no and longer going to be. It looks like Inter Miami is going to be one year you have to compete with too. And there's no playing round for the East this year. There's no ten team playoff bracket in the Eastern Conference. It's straight up conventional seven teams per side in each conference. And look, I'm not quite sure what a very young New York Red Bulls will be like this year. You're going to see. If you're a national seed, you're going to see them in about two and a half months' time. So you're not – that's not really at the at the forefront of your vision right now. But those are teams that you're going to be competing for for a seventh place, which I think – I believe they're going to be around seventh or eighth in the East. But we'll get to that in a few months. As we promised, we need to talk about two guys that either – well, both of them actually need to have more time on the field. And, yes, Cadiz yeah. has, has been the starter, but he still hasn't played a full 90. And he still is someone who, yes, he scored two goals, and he's been one of the better dangers once he gets his footing in each respective match. But he's got to be more because he's the best attacker. He's the best skilled. He knows his talent level and his expectations are – far beyond what I would expect from Daniel Rios, what I would expect from Don Baji. I think CJ, CJ Sapong is someone who I think should play more, but it will be to Jander's expense. And credit to Jander, however, because my guesstimate would probably be he's between 80 and 90% fit. So he's not fully fit. He's still battling back, probably getting some strength in that ankle. I believe it was that 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 injury that has pretty much held him out of preseason for whatever preseason you know Nashville he had even training um, he he's still getting back from that and he's still able to score a couple of goals so for Jander I mean let me ask you this Nick is he on track for meeting expectations or super or shall we say surpassing the bar set by Nashville C to keep him after July first. I think it's consistency, right? That's the biggest thing for him. And can you be consistent when you're not like, not everything's going to be perfect. You know, you're not going to always be a hundred, you know, being that 95, 90, 95% fit. And as you say, or just being able to, to play and that 90, that's not always going to happen. Um, in fact, given what we know about Yonder Cadiz, both as here and at Benfica and in other places, um, he's not going to be a guy that is, going to consistently be in the, you know, he's not going to play 35, 40 games for you in a season 
and play most of those six, you know, play an hour or more in all those games. That's just not te- that's just not him. But that's historically. at this point. But at this point, consistency for him is going to be key. But at this point, it's got to be about the 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 grind. It's got to be about lasting the full ninety, and it's got to and it's got to be about being an absolute pest in the in the high press. Do you think though that's more of a Gary like? Gary Smith isn't a guy that's going to leave his center, especially in a game like so. In this first three games, you got to think contact contextually. You're, you're in games that are with 25, 30 minutes left are still in doubt. And so he's almost always knowing and seeing what he's done before um, at different levels. He's almost always going to bring in the extra guy if he has it, especially when it's a CJ Sapong, a Zombaji, somebody that he feels like, oh, I know that his his legs are going to, you know, his fresh legs are going to make a difference. So I don't know if that's necessarily a yonder Cadiz issue with the time yet, but I, I mean, I would like to see him play that, that long, but you know, I, I think there are other guys out there that, that haven't done that either up front. And it's not the criticism because the consistency of play is not necessarily an issue. You, you know, I know in your story, I believe it ran today, the uh, story about the, the four guys you've you've liked so far, the two guys that you necessarily haven't, you know, think that they need to uh, to 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 step it up a little bit. And I know Yonder yep. was on that list. Yep. And then the two guys that deserve playing time, like you just mentioned before, that story I believe went live this morning on Tennessean.com slash sports slash Nashville SC. Plug it, Nick Gray. Plug it. Yes, sir. And and, you know, in that story, you talk about how, you know, he, he had the good first game and then, you know, you get to on Sunday, doesn't have a shot on target, has that opportunity. And as a guy, a bigger guy that loves to play in the air or should at least have the ability to be a dominant, impactful player up front in the air, has that opportunity, doesn't make it. Now, that's the only opportunity really he has – in that, so maybe in terms of what you want from your center forwards, that's more of the question for me. What does Nashville SC want from its center forward? What's its best self? And I go back to that again. What's its best self? Is it Yonder Cadiz being more of a contributor when he gets balls into the into the into the box, or is it somebody to help lead the line? Like I think maybe a CJ Sapong can be. Well, so let's, talk let about me that. let me break let me break this down. Uh, but before I get to those two points that you just hit. You, you did say to start that you're not going to take Jonder out of his element simply because he's not hitting the bar at a high in a defensively, you know, with his defensive work rate in a high right, press. Yeah. And I know this for a fact about Gary Smith because he told me one on one in a conversation in December. He says, look, when I was with Colorado, we have Connor Casey who's scoring bags of goals for the Rapids are arguably one of the best center forwards in that time. You know, he scored 50 goals in total in five years. So, you know, with, with Colorado, that's pretty good. Right. And look, Connor was not tracking back. Connor was not even high pressing. Connor was just chilling. Connor was, look, he'd <laughs> split. He might split the two center backs. He might, you know, close down a guy or two. But he's not being the center forward Alex Mawil, right? No. He's not right. going to do that. But that doesn't – and Gary Smith says, I'm not going to take him out of the lineup. I'm not going to 
you know, bench him because he's not doing it this particular way. I'm going to work around that. I'm going to adjust to that. So I'm not saying that it's either fit in or get out. But what I am saying is that's probably going to lead to potentially more chances that could be possibly more opportunities for him to get on the ball. And this is a good transition to your first, to your second point, which is about being that aerial guy in the box. But in order to be the aerial guy in the box, you need the ball to be in the air and you need right. it to be in your area. And I think the caveat to Cuddy's not having a shot on goal on last Sunday was the fact that a good stat that Gary Smith gave us in the post-match press conference, that they only had five balls out of 18 crosses hit mm-hmm. accurately. Mm-hmm. And when you That's have not good enough. when you have when you have that type of a, a percentage, how do you expect your best forward to get his forehead on the ball? Right. It's, that's so, yeah, I don't. I, I didn't want my. I didn't want my. You know, my analysis to sound like a criticism. You know, oh no! Well, know. you're bringing the best out of me, Nick. You're bringing oh, the yeah. best out of me. Yeah, and, I didn't want him to, I didn't want that to sound like a, a criticism. I just think it's all about fit and all about what you want out of it. Right. And lastly, your third point about leading the line. We could, you know, certainly move into again, as you mentioned in the story that I wrote. I got guys who should play more and. I agree with you that CJ Sepong is a guy who can lead the line. I think he's your most physical striker. Some would say if Randall, if not Randall, if Jonder had uh, a higher work rate, he probably would be just as physical, but we haven't seen that yet. I think CJ Sepong is your most physical striker. He has the mental and the experience and the IQ to know when fouls are coming, to know when space is, to know where the ball is going to be. And if you talk to any center back in professional soccer, they know when they look at us at a center forward, just looking at them, whether they're going to be able to bully that guy or he's going to be a long day at the office. CJ is going to be a guy where you're going to be like, oh, man, it's going to be a it's going to be a long day at the office. Not saying that they they feel inferior, but you just have to battle up. You have to you have to raise up to his physique and to his IQ. And if you look at the Montreal game or actually in all three, Going back to Cincinnati, that chance, and I know we've talked about it previously on this podcast, is that chance he had, that good cross coming in from wide left. CJ gets up, he heads it, Teton blocks it, Handwala comes. He told him that, you know, Handwala said after the after the match, he's like, I should have hit it top right, but I hit it low. And that was a mistake because Teton basically saved it. And then Sapong has another header against Montreal. That's saved. And then against Miami, you know, he was fouled so many times. It was like he couldn't even get into the 18, but he requires that form of physique because, you know, he he knows how to play. That's as simply put as I can be. And he's a guy who I certainly think deserves more than 20 minutes. I think if you can get him on the pitch at the same time, maybe play a 4-4-2, maybe play, maybe give Dax or Anibal a rest and go with a 4 yeah, go a 4-1, you know, 4-1-4-1 or whatever it is. Um, or play, just simply figure out a way to get two strikers on the pitch and see how that goes. Because what are you going to say? Well, my question was going to be, go ahead. I, I don't know. I was thinking just like what what in terms of those strikers, those center forward, you know, the striker options, what's the best – like if you're gonna put together those two, 
out of the options that you have, what would be your your top uh, what would be your top pairing? Well, Is I still it think Sapong and Cadiz. I still think the best pairing that I've seen with my own eyes was Daniel Rios and Jonder Cadiz. Yeah. And was, Rios, but Rios right. is hurt right now. Rios, sure. Rios, Rios, his foot is giving him problems. And I certainly look forward to his recovery because as we saw against Dallas last year, those two playing together, you allow Cadiz to have those runs in behind and you let Daniel Rios be your back-to-goal number nine, the guy who's just, just going to be your traditional poacher. But if you watch any Jonder Cadiz highlights when he was playing with Dijon, or when he was playing in Portugal, it, whether it's the, the Portuguese equivalent of Leal or the Dijon equivalent of Leal, where they have a ball, they probably stop short, they come short and collect possession, they play the ball down the touchline, you let Jumber go chase that, and he goes one-on-one with the defender. That's his game. Like, that's literally what you would see in his highlight tape. But... Nashville's playing style doesn't really right. It doesn't really, you know, resemble that. It's all yeah. about it's all about genre staying narrow, finding that middle channel and receiving service from out wide, or just finding low crosses uh, in the box and having him get those tap ins. So or or set pieces. So you're I think the, whether it's a 3-5-2 or 4-4-2, whatever banks that you need before you get to two strikers, feel that, but make sure you allow someone to be that central poacher-like striker, whether it's Sapong or Rios, and allow Cadiz to make the runs. I think that's how you're going to see Cadiz become his best self in a Nashville jersey. Another guy who I think should be playing more is Rodrigo Pinheiro. And with all this talk and this rumors about him signing in January and and in February waiting for him, and then March comes, he's like, okay, boom, he's here. We've got him. Uruguayan guy. He's supposed to be the most direct winger that you have on the team or equal to Randall Leal. Some say that he is basically the best, uh, you know, dribbler. He can play all four. Mike Jacobs said, on, on the first day, hey, it was the first of March. He said he could, he's, he has the ability of playing all four slots. So across, whether it's either, either side of the wings, he could play the number 10, he can play as, an, as a nine. That's what Mike Jacobs said. He has the ability of playing all four attacking slots. And for someone who has that ability, but unfortunately we've been told that he's still trying to find his way. That's that's just the consistent phrase that we've been seeing. But for me, it's hard because I want to see him struggle. At least I know that he's struggling because two minutes against Inter Miami, it's it's that's not a sample size. That's a little eye drop. That's a little teardrop for you uh, of an of an assessment. We have to get Rodrigo ten to fifteen minutes minimum to see what he can do. Now, I didn't even see him. I mean, I saw him make one pass. Yeah. At the end of the Miami match. I want to see him take a player on, right? I want I want to see him, you know, do something, right? Do something in the attacking third that resembles what Nashville C saw him on tape. Wouldn't nice wouldn't it be nice though to have that balance so where you're not hoping that's just most of your your opportunities, at least your prime opportunities have seemed to come from Hani Mukhtar in the middle or playing 
mostly through Rondell Leal on the left. I think that's so big. And, you know, I, I don't know why, and I'm sure there is a reason. There is a legitimate reason. I know it wasn't necessarily said on Sunday after the game, but there, there, it seemed like in the 65th minute or thereabouts would have been a great time to say, all right, you're going to have about half an hour. Let's see what you can do. Uh, play your game. Press if you need to and go. Let's and see. we didn't see that. It had been it would have been nice to to seen that. And I think the game kind of needed it because the balance of that of that formation isn't quite there when the setup with that eleven is there. Now I, I like Alex Mule. I, I like him. I like what he and Alistair Johnson can bring. And I like that that their their energy and their effort is top class on that side. But in a game like this, you're going to need a little bit of quality too, extra on top of what they bring. And that's where I think a guy like Rodrigo Pinheiro is on the roster for that kind of thing. Like if he's on the roster, you have to use him in those situations because there's no, like, I know we're early on here and there, there are reasons why you know, trying to find his way. I don't, I don't yeah, know work rate, what that means. Pace what of, does that mean? Work, work rate, pace of game. Um, maybe it's the physicality. Uh, but the first two we've heard, right, yeah. in, in preseason, we've heard that the pace and, you know, the work that National C put in on a, you know, on a, on a legitimate training session, that's, that's, that's a culture shock. Sure. For, and he also said he said himself actually I can confirm that he said after the after the match against Miami he said that it's a much faster pace that that he's used to and so right. look I will say though from actually being at Nissan Stadium and looking how the game ebb, the ebbs and flows a lot of a lot of that what shall we say the second half or no, a lot of the first half. A lot of that first half was actually played on the right side. And in a, a key detail was that Leal was actually coming over. I think I alluded to this earlier in this episode. Leal was actually switching, and he was overloading on the right side. So you had Leal coming over, and he would have that link-up play with Johnston advancing into the final third. You had Muil and then McCarty. And so – but what kind of balance does that provide a formation, though? I just think it's an overload tactic for how Miami was playing to exploit their, I would say, they were offensively playing very wide, but defensively they were very compact, yeah, low block defending, and they were narrow. And so what that tells me is that they weren't worried about what they were going to do out wide, right? They were having eyeballs when Leal had the ball on the left side at his feet. But with Pinheiro, I think that gives you the balance that you're asking for because you're not having to have Leal come over. You're, yes. you're, and, and Mukhtar, he was more of like a second striker almost when the ball gets into the final third. He was actually in the box with Cadiz. And so what I see from – from the from those two guys, those wingers, is the balance that you're asking for. Um, that's what. That's now, what is that is that going to come against New England? I am very doubtful. <laughs> I don't think so. We'll see. We'll see. I I don't. Is against RSL, who are arguably one of the best improved teams 
all of a sudden in MLS after having a pretty dismal end to the year last year, they are going solid. Rubio Rubin is, is doing well. They are sitting at the top of the Western Conference or near the top, I should say. Seattle is actually at the top. So you've got New England Revolution, who are sitting atop of the East with seven points. And you've got RSL, who are one of the better teams in the Western Conference. And then you've got Austin FC. Is that the first match that you see Rodrigo Pinheiro come in and have significant minutes? Now, Austin has done pretty well themselves now. Like, they've got some wins. Soliciano Dominguez has done well. I mean, they, they've actually done the job as an expansion team. And you can tell Josh Wolf has coached that side uh, to, to a, a legit level. And so when they come May 23rd in Nissan Stadium, that could be a test. But I think that's probably the earliest we'll see a significant sample size from Rodrigo Pinheiro. Sounds like you're looking for like a four-game stretch against – opponents you feel like you can get points from well let me just say this uh, where, so, where could you have found that <laughs> schedule let me just say this i'm going to stick to the players i'm talking about Pinheiro. and when i look back to randall leal in 2020 who i think is a was a, is a little bit more polished was more okay. polished than, than Pinheiro. i think it wasn't until i want to say late september early october where I was like, okay, okay, this guy but is like how their many best minutes creator. was he logging? How many minutes was he logging up to that point? But that's was he three? That's unfair. Three. That's unfair though because he was the more polished player. He and also he wasn't having Alex Mwil and whoever else uh, on the other side. There's nobody competing for Randall Leal for the left wing spot. No one. So maybe our expectations are a little too high for him. Maybe maybe we were just sold. Uh, to pay attention because we're media and clubs want us to be super excited about every single person that they sign. And, you know, the homers, the homers who cover MLS clubs want us to be super excited about a, a new international coming into MLS. So maybe we fell for the chocolate. Willy Wonka sold us. Willy Wonka Gold sold ticket. us. Well, finally, Let's look New at the match. Revolution. Who, who, is, who is New England for you? Who, who is Bruce Arena in 2021? Oh, boy. Well, what do you think about that, Bruce Arena in 2021? Uh, I'm looking at probably – Is he the same leader. that he was 15 years ago? I think he's better. I think he's adjusted wow. to this new, this new era of probably uh, more athletic. You've, you know, the Tejan Buchanan's of the world, the Brandon Byes of the world, the T.O. Banbury's of the world. Um, Guys who are running down the flanks. You also have Gustavo Bo and Carlos Hill. You know, they've got some pieces. And and they've started out well this year. Too. They started out well. You know, yeah. Wins over DC United and Atlanta over the last two games, those being at home. They drew their first game at Chicago. So now they come to Nashville. Uh, as one of the, the best starts in the in the uh, Eastern Conference. And they have Philadelphia, Columbus, and Red Bulls coming up. So this is going to be a match there. I have to feel like get kind of managed through and, and squeeze out a result because those results may not be coming in the next couple of games. Yeah, I was going to say that Nashville's match could be a stumbling block for New England because 
yeah. Depend, depending on depending on Columbus Crew tonight. Again, we're recording right. this on Wednesday. They're in the Concacaf Champions Week against Monterrey, the Mexican powerhouse, in the second leg. And depending on how they do with that, look, that's that's going to be that's that's going to be that's that's going to be a yeah. good that's going to be a good test for them. And I think if Nashville have a have have something to say about it. I think New England might uh, New England might be able to you know find a favor in points, but also when you talk about the Philadelphia match, I mean they're through in the in the Champions League, and so that's another team that if New England can get points against Nashville, they might go on a roll and they might get let's say I don't know thirteen points, twelve. Right. And, you know, they might get to 12, 13 points in the East. That New England game, by the way, for Philadelphia is a Wednesday, May 12th game. So that's for Philadelphia, a continuation of a, of a two, two match per week schedule that they've started off with from being in Champions League. So how can Nashville disrupt this side? Who or what needs to be done for Nashville to actually get three points against New England? Were they able to last year? They were not. They were without, not. Without a healthy striker, however. Sure, and we'll be that looking was, forward to a challenge. We'll be looking forward to asking Gary Smith about the status of Daniel Rios on Thursday. But they do have CJ, and they do have Jandor, and so that automatically, I think, makes it 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 it, it gives Nashville a different identity than what they did when they went to Foxborough last October. I think this has to be a game where they have to make their mark. I. I I, I I was a little thinking that way because I thought that I thought last week's match was you know given the Miami situation they were going to try to minimize everything that was going to happen from volume of shots the volume of of good possession for for Nashville and um, you know kind of muddle the game up given their their uh, limitations in terms of personnel and for this game. I think Nashville really has to be aggressive about what it wants. Like it's going to New England revolution isn't going to be an easy match ever. And certainly not now, certainly not in solid form so far to start. I just think though that Nashville SC really has to make its mark on this season. This has to be the first mark notch on the bedpost, so to speak. This has to be the first win. This, this They cannot get out of this first four without a win. And feel good about anything that they've done so far. Do you hit the panic button if they lose? I don't hit the panic button, but I do. It's it's almost a lingering feeling, right? It's like that lingering, like you're feeling like you're having to play catch up. Like the the fact that you have to play some of these more difficult matches away from home over the next few months. And not even difficult matchups, like. Obviously, the easy matchups aren't the ones that they're they're not bagging those. So, like any matchup, so like you're feeling like any matchup over the next couple months that you don't get three points out of, you're not kind of compensating for the 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 lack of points in these first four weeks, and that's my concern um, for them. And they got to start bagging those three points, and maybe matches that you don't think that they're going to bag three points in because you have to compensate for what you've done so far. Everything is okay right now. I'm not putting no panic button, no must wins, none of that. I don't think any of that needs to happen. But there needs to be a point where they start making their mark on the season. 
And I think it would be a good start on Saturday. You heard it here, folks. Nick Gray, no most wins, but there is pressure. But there's, no there wins. has to be a little bit of pressure, right? Has yeah. to come from inside of there, right? They can't feel good about it. I mean, Jackson McCarty's tweeting about it. There, there, that has to be the thought process this whole week is that we got to really hem in and focus in on getting three points in this game. And you just 04 and 0 was just number one, a really weird line coming out of the first four weeks at home. Oh, 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 and four to be exact. Win, loss, draw. Oh, oh, and four. Well, I'm just going off of what the MLS site. It's different everywhere else, right? So you're talking about four draws in four games. So you're at a, uh, at a point per game. That's not good enough. That's not good enough coming out of this. I don't think you think about, like, our conversation is not going to be about three draws in the first four games if they win on Saturday. Oh, it's certainly not. About, it's going to be about six points in four games. Now let's start the season. Let's certainly get into not. the real part of the season that is going to, you know, let's, let's, let's finally get into it. That's true. And I think the only reason why we're talking about three points in three matches is because of who they're playing, where they're playing. Who they have played, yes. Yes, who they have played, where they played, and how they played. You could always be FC Cincinnati. Don't want to be FC Cincinnati. <laughs> it was at eight, eight goals conceded, zero scored in the past couple of weeks for FC Cincinnati. 10-0 run for Cincinnati opponents after the first two goals. Just 20 minutes in Nashville. Well, opening day. we will address FC Cincinnati this summer when or excuse, yeah, yeah, when they yeah. visit this. Yeah, we'll talk about them later, later. Uh, when when that match uh, returns to the schedule for Nashville SC. But we're wrapping this up. Please send us DMs. My DMs are open at Live Life Drake on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at Drake Hill Soccer. Email drake.hills at tennessean.com. The D and H are capitalized. C is cap sensitive. Send me a message. The mailbag is open. Boys and Gold Mailbag is now launched. Let us know your thoughts, concerns, questions about what's going on. If you want to know something about this team, let us know. Subscribe to the Tennessean. That is Please. how we continue to do soccer journalism. But until then, Nick Gray, Drake Hills, episode four. We out.